Advanced Principles Podcast, or app, was created to be an outlet for like-minded individuals to share in the broader conversations on leadership, retail market updates, and incredible personal success stories. On app, you will hear a collection of stories from the titans of the retail industry, as well as thought and practice leaders covering the spectrum of the economy. Please click the subscribe button and look for the newest episodes to be released. And I would imagine your phone was blowing up pretty heavily during those first few weeks of people trying to figure out what we're going to do. But I'm never going to say, here's what I did and you should do that. It's going to be, here's what I did. What do you think you can do? Very interesting. So with the focus on kind of all levels of the organization, certainly leadership is such a big component of it. Uh, you, you know, so with your individual coaching and executive leadership, how, how, I guess, approachable has that group been throughout all of the changes over the last couple of years, year and a half now, I can't believe it, through this pandemic, about that shift in corporate strategy, work-life balance, unlimited PTO, all of those things that are kind of floating around in the corporate communities nowadays. Yeah, um, I think you have, as, as we would expect, you have a faction that still has their head in the sand and they're, you know, unfortunately, they're the ones who are there much more longer term and they're very close to exiting the organization. And I see that a lot of them aren't really focusing on it. They're wanting to stay to the tried and the true because they're not going to be there much longer. Mm-hmm. And so we're seeing some of that. And then okay. we see some of the other ones, which are more like um, in the like later stages of baby boomers. And of course, the, the other generations that are coming up that are more open to do it. And mm-hmm. so they're grappling with it, but they're working with their HR departments to come up with ways to how do we make this work now? How, what yeah. has to shift in, in our organization to make it work? That's um, great. Yeah. Now, have you seen some cases where companies or individuals have gone too far? We've gotten too flexible, too much emphasis on the, the freedom and uh, the flexibility within the job force over this last year and a half. Because there's there's been a lot of different ideas thrown around there, and I just don't know all what is being put into practice and isn't. Yeah, I, I haven't. I haven't okay. seen any of where they've gone too far yet. Good. Um, for us, it's been more like they're all, they've got their toes in the water and they're going up to their ankles, at least with our clients anyway. Yep. Um, and that's across the spectrum of small up to Fortune 100s. But they, they, I think for the most part, I think your mid-sized companies are actually further ahead than the larger corporations. Okay. Um, but yet they're, they're not waist deep yet in the water. <laughs> yep, okay. And so with the shift, and obviously what's, a big catalyst for it was the pandemic. So, uh, you know, a year and a half ago, we're all still living the dream of COVID. Um, you had this, you know, just kind of all of a sudden, everybody's life changed. Um, and I would imagine your phone was blowing up pretty heavily during those first few weeks of people trying to figure out what we're going to do with individuals, how we're going to keep them engaged, probably had to talk a few people off the ledge. And on the whole time, I'm thinking to myself, that's probably all new for you too. It's not like you've been through a pandemic that they took you through pandemic school. Um, so how are you feeling those phone calls as well as managing the shift in your business and with your team? You know, I'm going to be honest. We weren't. The phones weren't ringing off the hook. Mm, okay. Um, we were the ones who were reaching out to our clients. And understandably, they were all in reaction mode. It was like fight or flight or freeze. And a lot of them were in freeze. 
um, they weren't really responding. Some were, some weren't, but a lot of them were in that freeze mode. Okay. And they stayed in that freeze mode for a good year. Um, oh, wow. We still kept, you know, giving them tools and giving them resources with regards to like, you know, just like, like small learnings to be able to help their managers lead a, a, a virtual team type of thing. Yeah. Um, so we were helpful in that way, but it wasn't until we turned that first year corner that they started coming back because we were telling them, you know, if you have bad managers or bad performing leaders, it's not going to get better during this time. It's going to get worse. Mm-hmm. Your great ones are going to rise the bad ones are just going to, they're not going to get better. Let's put it that way. And they're like, we understand. And I understand this as well, Ryan, because they were saying, we don't know how long it's going to last. And so we have to halt our development spending because, and I I can appreciate that. They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know how long it was going to happen if they were going to have to lay people off. All those questions were in there. And despite the fact that we were still being able to, still offering to come in and partner with them to even be the thought leader and to help them have strategic conversations, the spend, the threshold, the the appetite for spend was completely halted. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. So now they're back. Now now, they are back. I was just going to say, so what what does the environment look like now? Wow. So for us now, the top three things we're doing is all those bad leaders are now in coaching. My my coaches have never been busier. Like right now, we're getting like two or three calls a week saying, we have another one. We have another one. We need you to coach them. And unfortunately, about half of what we're coaching right now, it's it's one of those situations where it is improve or we're going to exit you. So I have okay. to give I have to give them credit that they're doing it now. They should have probably done it a while back, but yep. at least they're doing it. So there's that, and then the other one we're getting calls for a lot is diversity, equity, inclusion. You know, mm, post yep, George absolutely incidents. Um, and so a lot of them are calling us to come in and really um, train their leadership team on how to create inclusive cultures. Yeah, yeah, which is so critical. I mean, we are a changing culture and we need to be able to accommodate that and make sure that it is inclusive for everybody. And I think it's phenomenal that organizations are recognizing that and asking for assistance and guiding it because for a lot of people, it's a new journey. Um, and, and, And for me anyway, I don't know if it was so recognized of somebody standing there and saying, we are not inclusive or we're making a choice to not be inclusive. It's just the recognition awareness of it. And then how do we just continue to keep it top of mind so it's not a buzzworthy headline. Well, you know, and our leaders are so used to, and rightly so, because our business environment is like changing daily. Mm-hmm. And so leaders are used to having things done quickly. And I think that's the one thing, this one area of the diversity, equity, inclusion piece is it's not the happy, it's not the happy meal menu that you can go through the drive-through and say, I want one of those and one of those and one of those. And then you just get it and drive off. This is a culture change. And mm-hmm. this is a good two, three, four years to get your organizations where you need them to be as it relates to that. Yeah. And I think our biggest challenge is getting the executive level to understand that. Mm, yeah. I, yeah, I can see that. I can see that that would be very difficult and very challenging for you. But how cool for your company to be the trusted advisor through that journey, because it is such a critical journey for companies. And I, I think a lot of the decisions that they're making today will dictate whether they're going to be around in 10 or 15 years. And if they are around what their company looks like. So for you to be on the other end of that phone call saying, hey, 
we, we recognize we need some assistance in this. Help us. Help us get to that 15-year mark and look the way that we want to look from a, an associate makeup and, and community relations standpoint. Exactly. Yeah, very Honor cool. Yeah, yeah I, I would imagine. So from, from the behavioral and personality styles in, and all the way up to the individual executive coaching and leadership, you know, there, to me, there's a little bit of a, a thought process in certain groups or individuals or even personality types that my personality type is the predominant leader personality type. So if you're going to be a leader, you have to be this personality type. And if you're not this personality type, you're, you're not going to be a leader or you need to change personality types. So could you just maybe dispel the myth that there's one personality type that is meant to lead all people on planet Earth? Yeah, I can. Uh, so you'll know because you've been in one of our one of our workshops is that we're a blend of all personality types. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a we have a go to place clearly, um, but we need to be able to situationally stretch into those different personality types as the situation calls for. And so, yeah, there's no research that says that one personality type is the best leader um, because it is situational. And so mm -hmm. we have to be all of those things based on the scenario. And we're never going to be phenomenal at all of those, of being all of those things. And that's why we have peers and colleagues and why we have employees as additional resources to us to be able to, if we're willing, to ask for help and, and involve those people in helping to round out what we don't bring to the table because none of us bring 100%. Yep, yep. That's so interesting. I think, I think the work that you do in helping people recognize what their personality blend is, is probably the better way to describe it, what some of their dominant traits are and maybe some of their sub-traits. But really, I felt uh, for me, because by the time I got to your workshop, I had had a lot of personality tests. I, I, I was pretty confident I knew my driving styles and motivators, um, but I didn't necessarily go through the educational process of, hey, that's one fourth of the, the pie here. Uh, there's three other personality blends, um, some with some dominant traits and other quadrants that I need to figure out how to work with. And I think that was the most eye-opening experience for me anyway, is, hey, there's someone sitting across the table from me and they're not wired the same way. They don't receive messages the same way. They don't deliver news the same way. They don't handle emotions the same way that I do, not right or wrong, just different. So how, do you, when you're doing those workshops, do you kind of see the light bulb click when you start to have those conversations and put the different personality types in the different quadrants of the room and kind of go through all that? Yeah, I do. And I love that you said that I can actually see the light bulb go on and I can actually see it behind their eyes because it's all of a sudden mm -hmm. this, this, there's this widening and about themselves and also about other people because they'll look at someone and go, that's why you do that. You don't uh -huh. do that to me to make me angry. That's just who you are. And that makes a big difference. Yeah, yeah, that makes such a big difference. I will say one great thing uh, about the workshops that you did and the introduction to you and your team throughout the entire company was, and then Kelly just took it a step further and put everyone's personality style and their three bullet points on how to address them outside everyone's office or cubicle. And it was like, okay, well, as you're walking up to approach me and get in dialogue, just understand how I want to be worked with, how I want to be talked to, how I want to be asked questions. And it really made a difference in, I think, the, the workflow. Um, because a lot of that, 
you're kind of doing away with, well, are they trying to hurt my feelings? Or I, you know, I don't, or they want me to work faster than I'm comfortable with, or now I have to slow down and I have to be more sympathetic than I am usually. And it kind of just put all that on a level field and it really raised the, raised the bar. Have you seen a lot of companies take it to that level where it's just really embodied throughout? Um, I wish I saw more. Let's put it that way. Um, we have some teams. So you'll have some teams within a larger organization that really run with it like that. But yep. Kelly is, I have to say, I brag about her. I brag about what they've done in relation to having those placards outside of offices and cubicles, because that does make a difference. I mean, oh, yeah. how many of us have that roadmap on the outside of our boss's um, office doors in the past where we can walk in? Before I walk in, oh, do this, do this, and do this. Don't do that. Okay, great. I've got the roadmap, and I can be more successful in that conversation. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love telling people that story about it. And when I was at NAE, I loved giving people tours of the building because it always came up. They were like, you know, what are these about? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Let me tell you. And then they would pick up on it. So when we had had clients come in, you know, it became a little joking with certain people, but other people, it was like, you know what? I understand now. I, I totally get it. And then we started to kind of personality type um, some of the clients that we were working with. Okay, well, now this is associate to associate. Imagine what some of our clients are experiencing. So now we need to understand and try to do their, their buying style in your selling style. And I know you spend a lot of time on that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because the disc has the sales assessment, but actually, and it's great for a salesperson, whether they're selling or whether they're maintaining that relationship, right. To be able to say, let me people type my client that's inside my, my person that's inside that client business. And then it can give them a one sheet that says, yeah, don't do this. And you need to do this and avoid this. And so it's great just to take that one look and then run into the, to have that meeting. Yeah, it really is fantastic. Yeah. Now, with a lot of management consultants or executive coaches that I've come across in my life, it really is the end-all be-all. It's their way or the highway. They're, they're, in, in the time with them is spent with stories about their career, their accomplishments. And I'll take it beyond just my personal interaction with several people throughout my career, but a lot of the leadership books you read, it's just chapter after chapter after chapter of how great I was in this meeting I facilitated and this acquisition I led. And it's not always relatable. Now, your approach, I felt, was totally different. It was not the end-all be-all. It wasn't filled with 30 years of war stories of, of yesteryear. It was very relatable. It was very approachable. And to me, then, as a participant, it was very digestible. So have you seen that difference um, from uh, the other, other providers in the space. And certainly there's a lot of different individuals that go around do executive coaching. And why haven't you taken that stance to say, listen, these are my experiences. So you need to learn what I've learned so you can get to where I've got. Yeah. I love that you asked that question. I think that again, goes back to my coach training. And I think that's also why there's not all coaches who call themselves a coach are really coaches. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of them are consultants, but they call themselves a coach and that a consultant mm -hmm. is going to share more of their experiences and more about them and what they've accomplished so that you can plug and play that same methodology, if you will. We certainly see that a lot more with the larger, bigger four type of consulting companies. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, um, so we see that a lot more there, but my coach's training always has me put the person first, not me, because 
there are times when I'm in a coaching relationship, I might share what I've done in the past as a leader, but I'm never going to say, here's what I did and you should do that. It's going to be, here's what I did. What do you think you can do? Mm. Um, because it's never the same situation. You're never stepping in the, the, the same river twice. Yeah. Um, so it really is about putting that person first and pulling the ideas out of them, helping them to tap into their own resources that they have, because that's going to create more buy-in and commitment for them to go and do it. Versus if I tell them what to do and they go and do it, I'm probably getting compliance. I'm not getting true commitment. They're not owning mm. There are so many great things there. I'm just going to try to unpack everything that's kind of swimming around in my head right now. So first of all, the, the first eye-opening one was the distinction between coaching and consultant. I don't think I've ever heard it put that way, but man, is that spot on. It really is um, the difference that I've experienced. I think you just helped me kind of compartmentalize the individuals that I was blending as a coach hyphen consultant or whatever, not coach or consultant. Um, so that made a big difference to me. And then getting the compliance. So you said right at the end there, you said you're getting your kind of the compliance expectation or what, what was the other term you use there? Yeah. Versus commitment and truly own yeah, it. Compliance versus commitment. Yeah. That's huge. That's a, uh, that's a big takeaway. So I, I, I really think, so talk a little bit more about that where you see actions towards compliance versus truly getting that founded commitment. Yeah. And, and so this is, this is a good lesson for leaders also. Um, you know, leaders should be coaching their employees. Now, they're not going to be a coach like a trained executive coach, but they should be coaching their employees mm -hmm. to arriving at the answers or exploring what options are available for them to try so that that person can really be bought in to that, whatever it is they're coming up with. But we have a lot of leaders that will just go, well, here's how you should do it. Get this done. Do it this way and deliver it to me by Friday that employee is not really engaged. They're not even being engaged. They're not even being utilized for yeah. what they bring to the table. And so if I'm going to go out and do it, I at least want to be part of building what I'm going to do or, or yeah. deciding how I'm going to go about doing it. I think that is such a fantastic way to put it. I, and I don't think leaders of any level of any team size or any level of organization can hear that often enough because I do think that a lot of it is the expectation that you are going to get compliance. You're going to have the team check those boxes to perform these functions, use this font, whatever it is, versus truly getting commitment and buying into the, uh, as Simon Sinek said, the just cause of the organization to really propel it forward. And I, I just, I, I don't think there's enough dialogue going on out there. And you were the first person to really put it that way. So thank you for articulating it the way that you did, because that really, that really hit home with me. That's yeah. a big one there. You're yeah. right. If you think about compli compliance will get you probably as a leader, if your employee is compliant in what you've tasked them to do, you're going to probably get about a 50%, 50 to 60% return on what you're expecting. But mm. if you actually get buy-in and get them to own it because they're part of this, of the, um, they're part of the solution and they've created that solution on their own, or at least collaboratively with you as a leader, you're probably going to get closer to hundred percent of your expectations. Wow. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Now, in the leadership space, um, and I'm not talking about your clients specifically because they've kind of got, you know, the inside baseball look because you're working with them, you're, you're coaching them, you're developing them. But from a leadership population as a whole, have you seen a good evolution towards kind of understanding those dynamics and truly getting that commitment? And uh, a couple of years ago, I went through a resident leadership course. 
Um, and again, I think that's kind of a shift in leadership culture is it's important to resonate with your associates and really get that buy-in and side-by-side -side with them. It, it, at leadership as a whole, again, your client base aside, do you see everyone continue to evolve that direction or do you feel like we're at kind of a sticking point? We're at a sticking point. Okay. We're definitely at a sticking point. Um, one of my favorite books is a book called The Leadership Pipeline. Okay. And the author is Ram Sharan. Harvard professor. And um, his research actually shows that individual, that leaders at all levels of organizations, regardless of industry and size, are operating at least three levels, two to three levels below the title that they hold. Many are behaving as first-time managers despite holding a C-suite title or even wow. an individual contributor. And that is all about me. It's all about ego. I'm delivering, I'm delivering, and you just do what I tell you. And so we've not, we've not turned the tide yet where individuals are really seeing themselves as leaders. As I can say, I can let my expertise go to the side. So I, I'm always going to bring it with me because that's how I got promoted to begin with most often. Yeah. Um, it's always going to be with me, but I have one new area of expertise, my new area of subject matter expertise that I should be developing and that's people. Mm -hmm. And, yep. and we, we're not there yet. They're wow. not seeing themselves as leaders of people. They're seeing themselves as leaders of functions and an organization who are building wow. full, of, full of numbers. Yeah. You know. Well, I know what book I'm ordering tonight. It's no a question about book. that. And I, I think I've actually, I think he wrote a book called Execution, uh, which I've read and been through as well. And um, so thank you very much. I, another great takeaway from this. So that's fantastic. So there is hope though, is what you're saying. There's enough dialogue going on out there. There's enough experts like yourself in the field that are out there and promoting the right way, get the right commitment, uh, place people in the right positions but how do you, how do you suggest leaders get comfortable with making that call that they they humble themselves enough to reach out and say you know what i could use a little guidance in this decision i could use a little guidance in this journey i could use a little guidance in this next promotion how do you coach them to just get over that hump make the call we no one accomplishes what they are alone just get on board uh, um that's a tough one that's a real tough one because, um, yeah, they have to, yeah, that's really tough because they have, they really have to be willing to kind of put their ego aside. Um, mm -hmm. And I'll say it's more so in, in, the, in the, gen, the male gender than it is in the female gender. Um, I think most male executives, that's harder for them to do that, yeah. Um, yeah. to even ask for help to begin with. Um, or to recognize that they don't already possess what they need to make that happen. And that's the difference of if they're not willing to do that, they're going to plug and play and plug and play, and they're going to frustrate themselves and they're going to frustrate everybody else in the process. Yeah. Um, and so the leader might think that they're hiding that I, you know, I kind of don't possess this, but I'm going to be brave and show that I have it. I have news for them. Everybody knows. Everybody already knows mm -hmm. whether you want to admit it or not. Yeah. So, I mean, I think what makes it easy for them is they just have to kind of put that aside and they can't do it alone. They, they're, they can, but it may take them forever. Um, yep. So they really should have a coach that's in their corner to be able to have that safe space so they can be behind closed doors and, and be transparent and admit, I don't know this and have that safe person to figure it out with 
and then go outside the door and be able to be what people need them to be. Yeah. Yeah. I think so many lessons can be learned too from professional athletes. We, we see them all the time performing at the highest levels. And whereas 30 years ago, I think there was a coach and a player. Now there's a player and a mental coach, a player and a fitness coach, a player and a nutritional coach, a player and a strategy coach. I mean, I'm an avid golfer. I follow golf and, and the, the golf entourage has grown from here's my swing coach to now I'm traveling with four or five, six people to make sure that my day, week, month, year are structured properly. And everyone watches in amazement how professional athletes perform. Let's subscribe to what they do. Let's get some coaches on our side and in our corner, like you said, provide that safe space, provide that dialogue, provide that conversation. And I think a lot of time, objective feedback. Yes. And because there's a lot of, there's a lot of leaders out there that are only being told what they want to hear instead yeah. of what they need to hear. And I would imagine that you have been an objective sounding board for a lot of people throughout your career. Yeah, I thank you. I, I just actually spoke to a client the other day, a CHRO at an organization. And I said, why do, you, why do you keep bringing us back? I'm just curious. I wanted to know. And she said, well, apart from the fact that you are a true trusted advisor for us and that you, know, you help us out a lot and you help alleviate a lot of pain points, she goes, well, her main reason is, is because you don't sugarcoat anything. Like you just tell us what we need to hear. And she says, and I remember what you told me one time, you, and I told her, I said, you have enough people in your organization that are already telling you what you want to hear. Mm. And what's that doing for you? How's that, yep. how's that going for you? And she said, that's why we bring you back. Love it. Absolutely love it. So uh, certainly throughout your career, you've impacted hundreds, if not thousands of individuals, uh, different levels of uh, different meaningful ways. Is there one story in particular that just always sticks out with you? And when you're having a tough patch, a tough day, a tough week, you kind of dig that one back out and remind yourself of the impact that you're having on individuals' lives? Yeah, yeah. There is a, a couple of people, have, past employees came to mind for me at first, but then they kind of like kind of scattered and one person kind of emerged. <laughs> and so there was a COO I was working with for a, for um, a global shipping and transportation company. And um, COO, and we were in a coaching session. And while we were in the midst of having a coaching discussion, he just kind of stopped and just kind of looked at me and I said, well, what just happened? Um, and he says, I just want you to know something. He goes, he told me, he said, at this level that I've achieved, I have no one to have these types of conversations with, mm. that I can be this transparent and open with. And it kind of like, it kind of like just kind of hit me between the eyes and I was like just speechless. And wow. then he looks at me and he says, um, are, are, are you crying? And I realized I was teared up and I, I kind wow. of wasn't, I wasn't able to respond for a couple of minutes because I had to kind of like collect myself. And I said, yeah, I kind of am. And he says, well, but why? And I said, because you made me realize that I've forgotten that it's not just the COO sitting across from me in this conversation, but it's a human being who mm. has a need for connection and a need to be able to be vulnerable in a safe space. And yeah. I said, thank you for reminding me of that because sometimes even as a coach, it can be a bit robotic sometimes sure. when you're working with some, some leaders who maybe really aren't bought into it. So you're kind of going through the motions a little bit, Yeah, but that wasn't the case with this one. And so he just really helped me 
to kind of reorient myself to the human being that's across the table or across the desk from me. That's, that's when you know the work you're doing is meaningful. You just have somebody that that's powerful has, has ascended to those levels in the professional ranks and has that kind of respect for the space, as you put it, that you're providing them. So congratulations. Well done. Yeah, thank you. You know, I used to I used to only coach people at like mid-level areas when I first started in the business. And, and then I, I started realizing, well, why don't I want to coach these other higher level individuals? And one of my coaching colleagues asked me that question. I go, because most of them feel like they've already arrived. And so there's nothing else they can learn about themselves or, or do differently because they've ascended to the level that they wanted to, you know? Yeah. But then I realized, um, especially through this individual I was working with, I realized that regardless of our level, we all have fears. Yeah. And whether we have the ability or have the space to be able to articulate that in a safe place with someone, um, that makes all the difference. Yeah. Wow. Ooh, very well put. That is just uh, extraordinary. Uh, so as we're kind of nearing the end of this, this has been extraordinary. Uh, unpack so much. I've got so many mental notes that I need to quick scribble down here as soon as we <laughs> hang up. And I'm sure I'll be circling back with you. And hopefully we'll have you on again to kind of digest a few more of them and go into some of the specifics. Sure. But what is what's on the horizon for you and Molto Crescendo as we continue to go by the, through this day-by-day -day changing environment of leadership and corporate culture and shifting workforce and the great resignation? What, what's, on, what's on the horizon for you all? Yeah, thank, thanks for asking. Um, I think that depends on whether I win the lottery or not, Ryan, because um, <laughs> that can mean the difference of just kind of retiring early in the Mediterranean or keeping yeah. doing this. But, um, <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I think, honestly, I said, I think it's to keep doing what we're doing. Um, I love working with all those broad range of the sizes of organizations we work with, and we span every industry. There's not an industry that we don't work with now. Um, I would say to keep doing what we're doing, but expand our services based on the needs of the organization, but really to expand our, our reach into the mid-market companies. Mm, okay. Um, because they're, A, I love working with them. They're easier to maneuver. You know, it's like you can turn the, the, the yacht around faster than the, than the ocean liner. Um, so I really enjoy that. And I also find that leaders in those mid-size and small companies they're much more open and much more pliable to yeah. actually to actually making things happen. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Well, hopefully, and as you know, we mostly cater to the automotive industry and a lot of dealers. And I think there's a lot of dealers that fall into that space as well as some of the other spaces that you might have been mentioning earlier in the conversation. Um, and I think that that is a, a growing need for dealers to look at is have some of that executive coaching, have some of that um, assessment on the front end and, and that cult, company and culture engagement. Um, and I know a lot of dealers have made huge headway over the last 10, 15 years, but I do think it's an industry as a whole that may be lagging a little bit behind from that aspect of it. And hopefully uh, your reach will, will go deep into the tentacles of the automotive industry here after this. Yeah. And Ryan, I'm, I'm not, I'm not overly familiar, but I'm curious, like, I mean, I'm, I would assume that they're also um, experiencing that war for talent as well. Oh, I, yes. I, I think every industry has it. I could argue that the automotive industry may be suffering from it as maybe not as much as the hospitality industry, 
But uh, for technicians, especially one, it's a diminishing workforce. Um, it's an aging workforce. There's not a lot of people that grow up and want to be technicians, although that's an amazing career that uh, has some ama- incredible compensation opportunities. And, you know, it's not just the wrench turners of yesteryear. You got to be a computer technician to diagnose and work on these cars these days, um, as well as, as as well as sales associates. Um, it just one is the customer expects more than they used to and rightfully so. So they're hiring different individuals, different levels of individuals, but so is every other company and every other company that has a sales arm or sales organization wants those types of people. So yes, the the war for talent right now is at an all-time high, a crescendo, if you will, um, in the automotive industry. And I really hope that there's some way that it softens in the future. Um, But until they fix kind of that uh, technician pipeline, it's going to be difficult. Uh, Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So before we let you go, we're going to get into our fast five. Okay. Kind of five just off the wall questions, a little more lighthearted. Just the only rule is answer with your gut instinct and go with what first comes to mind. Okay. All right. Are we ready? We're ready. All right. Here we go. So you've obviously been in front of thousands of different individuals with all types of personalities. So to you, what is the most entertaining personality type? (laughs) Um, I would say like from a disc perspective, the I type, the person who's more of that extrovert, they're the most entertaining. Um, I think what's entertaining about that is you get to see them bounce off the walls because they're always going from one thing to the other. So to me, that's fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, I had, had a feeling that might be it, but I just, uh, hear, hear you tell it is fantastic. So you brought it up the leadership pipeline, but I'm wondering what is the, the most recommended book that you recommend to others, but then also the most recommended book to you by others? Mm, It would be the Leadership Pipeline. Okay. And it's been that way for like the last 15 years. Wow. Very cool. And any, any book that people have recommended consistently to you over the years? I'm looking at my bookshelf. Um, Anything by Brene Brown. Anything by Renee Brown, honestly, because when we talk about shame and vulnerability and things like that, that gets into the space of why we don't show up the way that we really like to, even in our leadership, um, because we're afraid of being vulnerable. So anything by Renee Brown. Okay, fantastic. Good. So uh, I love Miami, the energy, the vibe. We talked a little bit about it before we got on here and started recording the show. I think that city has grown a tremendous amount and continues to grow. Um, the diversity and cultures and kind of just the energy that that brings is just extraordinary. So the, your best place in Miami for a cafe Cubano and a good, just amazing knock you off your feet, Cuban sandwich. Oh, you're so, wow. Anybody in Miami would probably like, will come hunt me down in the streets to say it. <laughs> um, I think the Cafe Cubano, probably the best place is like at a La Carreta around here, um, just okay. to go to the window and get it. Any of those mm. types of, yeah, that would be La Carreta. The best Cuban sandwich I've had, in all honesty, is not at a Cuban restaurant. Wow. It's actually at a place called Kush. Okay. Um, and so it's a restaurant that's a hamburger joint, but their, their Cuban sandwiches are out of this world. Wow. Okay. I'm writing both of those down for the next time I come down there. Um, Okay, so next question here is, if you had your choice, um, one, you live in very close proximity to South Beach. Um, So if you had your choice of South Beach 
the south of France or South Dakota? Which one are you going to? South of France. South of France. <laughs> more so than across the street to South Beach as spring breakers? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely more so than across the... <laughs> That's funny. All right. And then um, you are a traveler. Uh, I've certainly picked up on that from you. I think you've uh, traveled the world. I don't know all the destinations, but you seem very worldly. So um, when you're out there traveling, a lot of people will also you travel a lot professionally. So uh, for people that travel a lot, they kind of have that go-to meal, just, hey, if all else fails and I can't get into this restaurant, I can't go to that, I'm going to this. What is your go-to travel food? My go-to travel food is any Mediterranean food where I can have like just a bunch of mezes on the table with some bread and some wine. Wow. So the Mediterranean is definitely in your future. I think that's the second Mediterranean reference. So I could see the retirement or Molto Crescendo <laughs> moving its HQ over to the uh, Mediterranean. I love it. Yeah, from your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> <laughs> well, and most people are sitting there aspiring to get to Miami. And you're like, hey, I'm going to get to the Mediterranean. Just take hey, it up. Hey, come on down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Tom, this has been phenomenal. Great insight. Um, I had uh, several takeaways. Um, looking forward to getting back together with you and kind of digesting a few more of these items, uh, spending more time on them. But thank you so much for carving out the time to do this today. I know you have a very busy schedule. Uh, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Nice seeing you again. Yeah, uh, we'll talk soon. You got it. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you to all of our guests who have appeared on app this year to share in their life experiences and knowledge with us. We appreciate every single one of our listeners who followed us in our first year of podcasting. We wish everyone a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. We are excited to bring many more guests on in 2022. Thank you.